Welcome to the Say the Word podcast, where we'll dig into words and language as tools for curiosity. I'm your host, Cindy Givinoli, and together we're going to explore how language is used in literature, memoir, poetry, and all kinds of fiction and nonfiction to connect us to what it means to be human and how to use curiosity to peel back the layers of what's keeping us from living the rich, meaningful lives we were always meant to be living. Hello, hello. So I just want to say thank you right away to the handful of you that emailed me with your quotes, your book quotes for the end of these episodes. I really appreciate it and I hope you guys will keep them coming. Now let's dive right into talking about this week's passage from Elizabeth Tova Bailey's book, The Sound of a Wild Snail Eating. Now, I was first introduced to this book when listener Kenda L. shared a quote from it that you may recall from the end of episode 13. I was really intrigued by the idea of reading something grounded both by careful and close observation of a wild thing and also by the physical limitations brought on by a sudden and debilitating illness that altered the course of the author's life. This small and quiet book had a profound impact on me, and there were several passages that really hit home and brought up moments from my own past. I was brought back to my own cancer diagnosis and treatment in my 20s of going from my extremely active um, life as an outdoor guide and athlete to having difficulty reaching the mailbox at the end of my driveway without pausing to rest of wondering who I was without the lifestyle and activities that I defined myself by. I'm now in my 40s and have several relapses and treatments and recoveries and identities under my belt, but I'm not sure that the relationship between my health and how I define myself and how I approach my time and my life is necessarily any more straightforward now than it was when I first was faced with such questions 20 years ago. It's an ongoing conversation that has required me to lean heavily on my curiosity so that I don't become entrenched in a single approach or cling to a single answer in what is really an evolving relationship. Bailey's voice throughout this book is so rich and complex, and her curiosity is paramount to how she copes with weeks and months of being so debilitated by her illness that her energy can sometimes be entirely depleted by activities as small as rolling over in bed. I'm reminded of the phrase author and cancer survivor Suleika Jaoud used as the title of her New York Times column and then the subtitle of her memoir. A life interrupted. Bailey's active and busy life was abruptly and irrevocably interrupted. For a period of time, it was stopped altogether. And it was through her insatiable curiosity as she observed and became fascinated with the amblings of a single wild snail that she gained a deeper understanding of her world. So here's today's excerpt from Elizabeth Tova Bailey's The Sound of a Wild Snail Eating. The mountain of things I felt I needed to do reached the moon, yet there was little I could do about anything, and time continued to drag me along its path. 
We are all hostages of time. We have the same number of minutes and hours to live within a day, yet to me, it didn't feel equally doled out. My illness brought me such an abundance of time that time was nearly all I had. My friends had so little time that I often wished I could give them what time I could not use. It was perplexing how, in losing health, I gained something so coveted, but to so little purpose. Mm, In a mere six sentences, she says so much here, doesn't she? Now, there were several passages from this book that I considered, but I landed on this one because it touches on the common theme of time and our relationship to it, especially how our relationship to it is shifted by disruption, like illness. In this first line, she says, The mountain of things I felt I needed to do reached the moon. Yet there was little I could do about anything, and time continued to drag me along its path. Is there anyone anywhere who does not feel that they have a mountain of things to do that reaches the moon? Of course not. We all have ever-expanding lists of things we must do, things we feel we should do, things we want to do. And those lists, when combined, tend to far exceed what is possible in one day or one week or one lifetime, right? She says, we are all hostages of time. And she's right. When she goes on to say, we have the same number of minutes and hours to live within a day, she's speaking a universally understood truth. We all have the same amount of time in any given day or week or year, and we're all bound by that reality, by the confines of 60 seconds per minute, 60 second minutes per hour, etc. And none of us truly have more or less actual time, right? The sun rises and sets for all of us, and the earth makes its rotation around that sun at the same rate of speed, regardless of our life circumstances. We are all hostages to that reality. But any number of factors impact our relationship to those minutes and hours, right? Here she says she has not had such an abundance of time that she wishes she could give her friends who had so little of it what time she could not use. It's not that she has more minutes than her friends. It's that she cannot, in her current state of health and its attendant limitations on her energy, make use of them. Despite her mountain of things to do, she had no energy with which to utilize her abundance of time, and so it was rendered meaningless to have it. Our energy has an enormous impact on our relationship to time, doesn't it? The only minutes that are meaningful to us tend to be the ones that also come with some sort of use, the ones we can fill with the activities that are important to us. This has so many implications beyond illness or even energy, really, doesn't it? There's so many directions I really want to take this discussion about time, and I struggled to narrow it for today. But I'm forcing myself to hold fast to only two points since my own time here for this episode is limited. First, no one on earth is without any limitation on their time and how they can use it. Those limits can vary greatly, but if you dig around a bit, you'll see that no one is without them entirely. Some are involuntary, illness like Bailey's being the perfect example. 
She did not have a choice or agency over having her energy drained away by her illness. That limit was entirely outside of her control. And some are voluntary. This is not to say that they always feel voluntary. If you are the parent of small children, for example, it may not feel like you have any choice but to stop and feed or bathe or care for your children as they require it. But as every neglect case that has ever passed over a social worker's desk proves, there is indeed a choice, just perhaps not one with an alternative that you can live with. Whether the limits we face on our time are voluntary or not, they do exist. At the very least, all humans are limited by the basic needs of our body to sleep and eat. We might be limited by energy, like Bailey is here. We might be limited by our attention span. Adam Grant, the organizational psychologist, tweeted recently that the scarcest resource in life is not time, energy, or love. It's attention. Succumbing to distractions is a decision to lower your cognitive, emotional, and social intelligence. Concentration is a precious commodity. Your most important priorities deserve your undivided attention. I love that. We might be limited by our value or belief systems. Time spent pursuing vocation or child rearing or our spiritual paths may feel non-negotiable. We might simply be limited by the finite length of our human lifespan. At the end of the day, we're all limited in some way or another, and most of us in multiple ways. Elizabeth Tova Bailey arguably had time to write a book while she was spending her days laying immobilized and staring out at, at over at a snail. But as she says here, that time was of no use to her as she lacked the energy to even roll over to her other side. So it was years later, after she'd healed sufficiently to be able to do more than the merest motions of survival, that she actually wrote it. And it took her far longer than it might have if she'd been healthy. Or maybe not, because if she were healthy, other interests or obligations may have pushed the book down the list of priorities and she may never have written it at all. There's no way to say, really. This touches on everything we discussed in episode 14. It is easy to imagine that if our life circumstances were different, we'd be living some more ideal life or be some more ideal version of ourselves. But as the old saying goes, no matter where we go, there we are. And like the Matt Haig excerpt from episode 14, no matter what version of our lives we end up leading, we are living the same life of multifarious possibility, have access to the same spectrum of emotions. And intertwined with this first point that everyone is living their lives within some kind of limitation on their time or their relationship to it is my second point. We must make choices about what matters most to us. We cannot do it all. No matter how efficient or productive or energetic or wealthy or whatever we become, we will have to let some things go. We cannot do it all, and certainly not all at once. Look, this isn't a newsflash, right? We have heard this time and time and time again ad nauseum. Except that we rarely live the truth of it, do we? I know, I struggle here. If I had even a haypenny for the number of times over my life, I have shuffled around my to-do list and given myself some harsh talking to about efficiency and self-discipline instead of cutting things off the end of it altogether, I'd be able to hire a whole team of assistants to keep the delusion alive for me, right? There is something really powerful to me about the last line of this passage where Bailey says, 
It was perplexing how, in losing health, I gained something so coveted, but to so little purpose. Now, to a certain extent, this just seems like more of what she'd said earlier in the passage. But when I read that line, I was reminded of a conversation I'd had with a good friend after she'd been in a minor fender bender. And she confided that when her car stopped skidding, her very first thought was to wish that she'd gotten hurt so she could take a break. Now, this might seem like an extreme thought, but when I've mentioned it to other friends or clients, more often than not, they share some similar experience, a twinge of jealousy at a a sibling's knee surgery or a pregnant friend placed on bed rest. The desire for a get-out-of-jail-free card from the busyness of our lives is so visceral for so many of us. What an extreme red flag, right? If being injured in a car accident sounds restful, we may need to let some of the plates that we've been holding in the air hit the ground. It's so easy to say, right? But if we are all living our lives with some kind of limitation on our time or our relationship to it, Every single thing that we do that is not in our top priorities is eating up what is available, possibly not leaving enough left for those things that matter most. It's easier to say no to the things that we don't want to do, right? Where things get tricky is that choosing a small, and thus actually realistic, number of priorities means also saying no to a whole bunch of things that we do want to do, sometimes quite a lot. So I recently heard someone say that the third most important thing on our list of priorities is the greatest threat to the number one thing. It's easy it's, or it's something that feels important and desirable enough to really distract us, whereas the things hovering down near the bottom are easier to let go of. That feels really true for me. Look, this is where our curiosity comes in. What do we really want? What do we want but not as much as something else? What are we willing to let go of to get that most important thing? And what are we willing to wait on while another priority takes precedence? It is critical to be in touch with these answers, to check in with them regularly, and to really dig around and get super honest and super curious around them. For Bailey to recover her health, it required that for a period of time that I imagine felt terrifyingly interminable. She let go of every single item in that mountain of things that reached the moon. She let go of entertainment, most conversation, movement of all sorts. She let go of her identity and her activities and her interests and being able to snuggle her dog. She let go of everything except laying in her bed and staring at a snail as it moved through its day. And while this is an extreme example, it's also a clear one. She could have only one priority, hanging on to whatever small thread of her health she could, and every other plate had to hit the ground. Now, maybe for you, the lines aren't so clear, but none of us are superheroes, regardless of how we like to play one on TV, right? We aren't the single exception to the rule of limitation. What we can be is intentional about how we use whatever is available to us, whether that is more or less time or more or less energy or whatever limitation is most impactful for you. We can get curious about what matters most and then peel away anything that doesn't serve that. 
It won't be easy, and it may require coming back to this decision over and over and over again. My favorite quote, maybe of all time, is from Annie Dillard's The Writing Life, where she famously said, How we spend our days is, of course, how we spend our lives. What we do at this hour and that one is what we are doing. If you are spending your hours wishing for an injury so that you can get a break, or constantly daydreaming about what your life would look like if you miraculously and suddenly, quote, had more time, it may be worth digging around and getting curious about, A, what the real limitations are on your time or your relationship to it, and B, whether you are honestly and realistically prioritizing what can be done within those limitations. At different times in our lives, the answers to those two questions will be different. My limits and my priorities looked very different before and after my cancer treatment when I was in my 20s. It looked different before and after I got married, before and after I had a parent who required care, before or after I was in law school, before and after I was building a business. These are ever-changing and evolving conversations, and we have to stay curious and engage with them so that we can spend our hours in line with the way we want to spend our lives. We are all hostages of time in some form or another. Let's make our choices about ours as intentional and full of richness as we can. So again, that is from Elizabeth Tova Bailey's book, The Sound of a Wild Snail Eating. And as always, of course, I will link the book in the show notes for you at cindygivinoli.com backslash podcast. So this week's listener contribution is from Danica P. And she says... I have been very slowly rereading the Lord of the Rings series again for the first time since I was in middle school, and this quote from Fellowship of the Rings stood out to me as a perfect summary of living in our era of global pandemic and all of its associated uncertainty and hardships. Quote, I wish it need not have happened in my time, said Frodo. So do I, said Gandalf, and so do all who live to see such times. But that is not for them to decide. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given us. It just really resonated with me, and I hope you might find a place to use it on your show. Oh, man, Danica, I love that. And it feels especially applicable in today's episode. So thank you so much for sharing this with me. As always, I am always looking for more of these quotes and passages from your reading. So please keep them coming. Next week, I will be sharing from David James Duncan's incredible novel, The Brothers K. Until then, be sure to stay curious out there. That's it for this episode of the Say the Word podcast, where we explore how language is used in fiction, nonfiction, and poetry to connect us to what it means to be human and how to use curiosity to peel back the layers of what's keeping us from living the rich, meaningful lives we were always meant to be living. Be sure to share and subscribe so you don't miss an episode, and I would so appreciate it if you would go ahead and leave a review. Thanks for listening. I'm Cindy Givinoli, and I'll see you next week on Say the Word. Say the Word.